Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Sorry, what was that again? I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god. I'm not the god. I don't think. The great impasse has spoken! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Who are you? Who are you? A very bad man! I'm a very good man! Good man! They think deep thoughts, and with no more brains than you have. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, a woman had a full body orgasm during a performance of Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony by the L.A. Philharmonic. Dave, this is unbelievable. Did you know women could have orgasms? (laughs) That's an urban myth. (laughs) That's what what society tries to tell you. (laughs) I think, yeah woke propaganda not no woman i've ever been with at least <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty amazing you know like the coverage I, I just read a little bit of the coverage and people were like you know nobody was shaming uh, the woman they were like oh you know the and the orchestra kept playing and like you know good for her but i'm like good for her unless like her boyfriend was trying to finger her during that thing, you know <laughs> But I, I don't think that's what it was. Like you can no. tell, like in a if like the people <laughs> behind them and like next to them would be <laughs> right. Although right. I don't know. You Maybe know. she had one of those things, like you know, that's like remote controlled. <laughs> she she was wearing. Yeah, it. yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> All, but like uh, Occam's Razor, you know, it's the five Tchaikovsky's fifth. <laughs> it's like who among us won't <laughs> splooge? At the five. Uh, Do you think like to Very Bad Wizards episode five? Yeah. (laughs) I love the ambulators. Did you listen to the four? (laughs) Yeah, people ask us all the time, do we have a a central place where we list all the media that we've discussed? And the answer is no. So if anybody ever wants to build that out. um, Yeah. I don't know if this is, someone did a letterbox of the movies and I don't know if that's still going, but. I I don't know either, but it would be cool to have movies fun. short stories and books you know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, among the episodes that would be listed there would be this episode uh, <laughs> because in the second segment we will be diving for the first time into the work of haruki murakami in particular this episode his short story sleep which is a banger it is very good it is a banger it's a good way to describe it People on Reddit always say that I call everything a masterpiece and I think everything is great. And it's like, well, like we choose things because they're really good. Like Totally. Know, I, and we both spent quite a bit of time trying to find an appropriate story. So it's yeah. not like we're just it's not like we're spinning the the wheel and whatever it lands on we call it a masterpiece. But before we uh get to Murakami, uh we thought we'd talk a little bit about th- this came from a tweet 
uh, tweet, it was actually like months ago, that I had put in, in the Slack. And not only is the tweet from months ago, it's referring to a paper that's from a couple of years ago, from 2018. But I thought it was like a pretty clever idea, given given that all anybody ever wants to talk about nowadays is AI and how Literally. it's changing. The only <laughs> thing anybody wants to talk about. It's a, and yet here we are. <clears throat> but this is a little twist on it. So this is a tweet from Ethan Mollick, who was describing this paper. Um, and the setup is basically this. You and an Android are in front of a judge. The judge tells each of you to say one word. They will then kill whoever they think is the AI based on that. And so there's a paper from some researchers at MIT in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology where they call they refer to this as the minimum Turing test. So one word is all you have to convince somebody that you're not an AI. What word would that be? Before we go to, there's some results, but I think we should probably give our answers first. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Why don't you go first? Because I realize I have, I, I have thoughts about it, but I haven't fully <laughs> settled on an actual word. It's going to be controversial. I have gun to my head. This is the only, the only uh, way I would do it. Gun to my head, literally, I'm going to die. I would drop the N-bomb. I, I have that <laughs> same thought. Yeah. And the idea is simply that so many of these AIs that are out there have like programmed explicitly into them not to use that word. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so, yeah. so right. I feel like if, if somebody says that word fully, then, uh, then just probabilistically, like it's not going to be an AI because yeah. it's hard to get the AI to say it. Yeah. Like, I wonder if that's a fair thing to do. Just assume that this AI has the constraints yeah. that the current uh, chatbots or whatever have. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hurt. You know, it actually matters a lot, like what you assume. I, when we get yeah. to a, a modified version of this, um, I'll talk a little bit more about why it matters to me. Um, not only what the AI is, but who you're telling it to. So yeah. in this case, it's, we're told it's a judge, which I take it is just like you yeah. know, some some stand-in for like reasonable person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And if it was someone I knew or whatever, that would make a huge difference. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. But I, I I actually settled on. So I was thinking about the N word. I wasn't thinking they had the constraint that the current ones have. But then I thought, well, these you know AIs typically get racist after you know. <laughs> when, right. That's it. Right. Uh, but for whatever reason, I don't think that's true of cunt. So I think I would say that. <laughs> I don't see the AI saying that and as of just one word they could choose. And right. I feel like... Yeah. <clears throat> I think the, the theme is, yeah, that like whatever AI just wouldn't... Be, to the extent that it's trying to um, appear human, it probably wouldn't go to, to the worst words. And that's in fact... I feel like what these researchers found, um, which was uh, that the most effective word the most the the word that most humans think would be um most likely to tease you apart from an ai is poop yeah and uh did they have feel, constraints of what they could say um that's what i don't know because yeah. i feel like the the like just decorum would make it so that they wouldn't print anything worse than poop <laughs> or they wouldn't give any like they wouldn't give the words that we just gave as stimuli in the experiment oh yeah shit so if you look at actually they have this like chart where you see all the different ones of what the this is what ai thinks humans will pick but like 
compassion, soul, love seems like those are the those two kinds of things. Whereas uh, fuck and poop and shit uh, and penis and vagina and cunt. <laughs> there, there's mine. Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah, bootylicious. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, is is further away. So, like, I think we're on the right track with this. Right. What's What's interesting is that um, that you know the way that these current AI work with the the language learning the models. Mm-hmm. Um, they are now, now that this is out there, mm-hmm. like they're just going to incorporate it. But right. I did earlier today ask Chat GPT four. Um, and it said the word I would use to convince someone that I am human, a human being and not an artificial intelligence is empathy as a language model. I have a vast repository of knowledge and can provide helpful responses, but I lack the ability to truly feel and understand emotions like humans do by using the word empathy. I am trying to convey that I recognize the importance of human emotions and connections, which is something that an AI may not fully understand. This, this is what I don't get about like what seems to be assumed here is that we're trying to convince you with this word like like that you have the quality of the word like i don't think that's what if i was the judge i wouldn't be looking and be like oh it must be human because it said (laughs) empathy yeah that's so stupid like like convince you i'm a bird by saying the word fly yeah right (laughs) right it's yeah. uh, like I, I, I wouldn't think that this is why I think like like you got to go more absurdist or like contrary. You have to do something like that is that doesn't make sense. In, yeah. In some perverse ways. in the yeah, way that perverse. Paul talks about That's the perverse, perverse stuff. Part. Like you, yeah. you have to put reason aside. Um, I, I actually asked is a follow up question. Uh, I asked ChatGPT, what if you could use a whole sentence? What would it be? And it said, if I could use a whole sentence, it always has to repeat your question yeah. like a like a very bad presenter. If I could use a whole sentence to convince someone that I am not an artificial intelligence, but a human being, I would say, quote, I am a human being with thoughts, feelings, and experiences that shape who I am. And I value the uniqueness and complexity of the human experience. This is what everybody is shitting their pants about. Like, <laughs> it's just so, uh, I don't like, understand it. No human would ever say that. Oh, my God. Uh, to, to which I replied, but obviously you are an artificial intelligence and you provided this response, meaning that it cannot be very convincing of your humanity and to which it issued an apology. <laughs> you are correct. And that my thought responses are generated through algorithms and program patterns. While my previous response was an attempt to convey the idea of human experience and emotions, I cannot claim to have a genuine emotional experience. <laughs> they always like kiss your ass, you know, yeah. to these things. Yeah, <laughs> I really feel like I'm in like some sort of mass hysteria with this stuff because like anytime somebody actually does something like this, something a little weird, something a little like you'd have to use a little imagination, like it can't do it at all. And it does something like just so boring and boilerplate and kind of like, yeah, yeah. the mistake is to think that, that we're going to get creativity um, out of this stuff. It's just built to not be very creative. To have to listen to people like who are terrified of this thing. So what did you think for sentences? I essentially thought with sentences, it's the same thing. You have to go kind of absurdist. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perverse, but it has to be something that would only be funny and make sense to a human. I actually thought like, you know, and here the assumption is that the AIs are these large language learning models. Um, I would just say something very random, like, um, you know, something grammatically correct, but random, like the, the, chicken leg slapped my face with green paint 
you know, like something super, super <laughs> random. Because there's like the way that they work, they just wouldn't pick like randomness. Like uh, on Twitter, we told uh, people that we were going to talk about this, and some people g- gave their versions of what they would say for sentences. And oh, yeah. I, I, I like this one from Sea Fart Fire Truck. Now I fucked this model and she just bleached her <laughs> asshole, and I get bleach on my t shirt. I'm going to feel like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Origin unknown. That, do you know what that's quoting? It's some rap song. But it's, a Kanye, that's a Kanye it's a Kanye. It's a Kanye song. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> See that? Uh, yeah. The cheese is old and moldy, like that. That's like yeah. something kind of Lynchian, you know? Yeah. It it doesn't seem that difficult, but but as soon as these models pick up that those are the kinds of things that people are saying, you know, it's right? We've gonna be yeah, <laughs> like, we're we're ruining it. We're ruining it right now for people. Like a lot of people are gonna die. Exactly. Gonna be a lot of judges <laughs> shooting random motherfuckers. Now, I think this would be easy if you had sort of like what you were saying, where it's like a friend that you know. But even if it were two strangers who share an occupation or expertise in something like there ought to be sentences that that you two would know that nobody else would you know or that no that a machine wouldn't be able to generate because it doesn't know that thing about you but yeah so that would assume that they know at least something about you the judge the judge yeah and that the that the ai wouldn't have access to you so like let's say that you and the judge were both like freemasons you know whatever um and you just said one of their fucking secret passwords, you know, right. Fidelius. So you, <laughs> uh, the yeah. scary thing is if the AI can like has access to all your Google and you know yeah. Facebook, Twitter, uh, then, then, it's, then it's you're the fine. Then it's just me. Yeah. yeah. Then, it's, then, right. then it doesn't even matter who it shoots. That's just me. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's just completely. It's a <laughs> distinction without a difference at that point. <laughs> uh, don't don't at me about transporters, please. It was, I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> I caught you in a contradiction. Where's your argument? Somebody used uh, the the um, Chomsky sentence, colorless, like green idea, sleep furiously, which is the right idea, except for that is a sentence yeah. that's out there. You know, that person just ruined yeah, that idea. Right. <laughs> and Chomsky. And Chomsky. Asshole. Yeah. By the way, the world's worst humble brag, you saying, oh, I put this into chat GBT GBT for. <laughs> and I got the answer instantly. Yeah, I, I bit the bullet. I was telling Tamler, I bit the bullet and paid for uh, a month of the, the plus. So it's not, it's sucker brag. It's I'm simping for chat GPT. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think... I don't think I'm going to keep doing it, but I was very curious if, if four would, would give any advantage. And I don't The four? Yeah. The, <laughs> El Ocho. Wait till El Ocho. What, what, if you don't pay for it, what are you on? The one? Usually three. I think okay. sometimes it, it might sometimes give you four, but it, it doesn't explain. You don't have like the option. I sometimes feel like, oh, I got to check this out. Like they'll talk to it. And then I just immediately get annoyed by it. Just because of like it does all that other stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. That blah 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 blah. You know, it's like it's, it's yeah. It's not. I want you... it to be like the one that's telling me to leave my wife. You know. <laughs> <laughs> what you need is just a therapist. <laughs> yeah. It was not fun. It was boring. And she's a bitch. <laughs> like that would be. F- interesting you know you want to you want to bring out the the anim the animus the shadow self of bing 
Yeah. Where right. Where's Sydney when you need her? Sydney. That's what it was. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, anything else to say about this? Did we come up with a sentence? I mean, I came up with one just to illustrate the randomness, but I don't think you did. Yeah. Partially examined life sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Like, who, like, no AI is going to say that. <laughs> the judge has to be a very bad Wizards listener, I'm assuming. <laughs> it just like, it doesn't. That's the thing, right? Like, they don't have to know anything about me or partially examined life. Like, why would uh, an, an AI say partially examined life sucks? Like, right. you know? Right. Unless it was trained on the corpus of Tamler Summers. <laughs> Unless it heard this episode. The other day, uh, somebody posted a, so you know how they have these AI voices now. Um, somebody posted a conversation that they had with Tupac and Biggie. Um, and it was, you know, like with their uncanny voices. And I didn't listen to the whole thing, but but they were talking about like, what's it like to be dead? And Biggie says, I don't even realize that I'm dead, which was just like a very eerie moment. Yeah. <laughs> they did that apparently in the Anthony Bourdain documentary they did a little ai of his voice for one thing i think that feels disrespectful i don't know like they're gonna just be able to go to town if they want our voices and all our inflections and all of that like, <laughs> we, need a, like we need a kill switch to just dis- to destroy all of it all of the episodes yeah <laughs> it's too late all right uh, we'll be right back to talk about sleep today's episode is brought to you by better help let me ask you a question How much time do you spend on yourself in a given week? And how much time do you spend on other people? And how do you balance those two things? It's easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs. You know, that's like me. I just give, 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 give. And everybody, my family, Pizarro, they just take, take, take. Uh, Some of the people in question might disagree with that characterization, but of course they would, right? Here's the thing, though. When we spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched way too thin and burnt out. Uh, Arguably, I think this is what in the Murakami story is happening in part with the protagonist. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. Therapy has helped so many people that I know learn positive coping skills, how to set boundaries. Therapy empowers people to be the best version of themselves. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash VBW to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash VBW. Thanks to BetterHelp, as always, for sponsoring this episode.
Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time of the podcast where we like to take a moment to thank everybody for all of their support, uh, for the ways that you reach out to us, communicate with us, participate in our community of listeners. Um, if you would like to email us, you can reach us at verybadwizards at gmail.com or you can find us at Twitter and tweet to us at Tamler or at Pease or at Very Bad Wizards. If you want to take part in the lively, thriving Reddit community of listeners, you can find us at reddit.com slash r slash Very Bad Wizards. You can also follow us on Instagram at Very Bad Wizards. And if you would be willing to take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts or even leave a nice review, we really appreciate that as well. We think that can help other people find the podcast. And finally, you can listen to us and subscribe and rate us on Spotify. And if you want to support us in more tangible ways, you can always uh, go to our Very Bad Wizards page and click on the support tab. And there you'll find the various ways in which you could do that. You can buy some swag. You can give us a PayPal donation, a one-time or recurring donation, and you can become one of our patrons on patreon.com. Uh, we really appreciate that community there. And if you're a regular listener, we think you might like it. At different tiers, you get different things. At $1 and up, you get all of our episodes ad-free and you get six volumes of beats that I've put together for our listeners. At $2 and up, you get access to all the bonus content. That's now years of extra discussions that we've had about various movies, TV shows, having different guests on. At $5 and up, you get to vote on an episode topic for an upcoming episode. We do that a couple times a year. You also get access to our Five Part Brothers Karamazov series. You get my intro psych videos. You get a couple of videos from Tamler on the Plato's Symposium. And finally, at $10 and up, you get everything I just mentioned, but you also get to ask us anything. Submit a question to us and we will respond to it on video and release it. We also release it on audio for all of our $2 and up supporters. So thank you for all of the support that you guys have shown us. We can't say enough how much it means to us. There is literally no doubt in my mind that we would not be doing this 10 years in if it wasn't for our dear listeners. So thank you. All right, let's talk about Murakami's great story, um, Sleep. This comes from his short story collection the the elephant vanishes the elephant vanishes um which i bought this story is accessible on yeah. the internet if you don't buy the kindle but it's like 10 bucks or 11 yeah. bucks and there's a bunch of great stories including barn burning anyway uh what a great story like i have never read besides barn burning it's the only other story that i've read this is so good. So it's about a woman. It's told one of the very few things that Murakami has done that is where the protagonist is a woman and the narrator, first person narrator is a woman. And she describes this new condition she finds herself in after a just horrible dream, which I'm sure we'll talk about, where she just doesn't have to sleep but feels great. Like, like yeah. on, it seems like almost like she's on like good high quality speed or something. She has right. real concentration, real vitality. She can swim much more than she ever could swim before. Uh, she can read with unbroken uh, concentration. It isn't insomnia. And the way we know that is 
she gives a brief description of an insomnia period she had when she was a teenager and uh, which is really good description of insomnia, I thought. Um, But this isn't that. I don't know what it is, but it's not that. And um, it's it's like kind of a riveting read the whole way through. It's like kind of electric, but uh, like it's not the like that much happens within the story. You hear about her life. You hear about the way she feels kind of disconnected with it and the and her husband and and son and then uh it all kind of leads up to a climactic scene in a parking lot that we have like, i don't know what you, i don't know what your thoughts are about yeah. that i don't know what my thoughts are about that but um yeah it's a, it's a lot a lot to interpret a lot to interpret in this but like i can't stress enough just to get started in terms of what we thought about it I was just kind of glued to the story the whole way through. And I, in a way that I'm very rarely like that with stories, you know? Yeah. You told me, um, when you picked it, um, you said it's, it's pretty long. Yeah. I, so I, I didn't look at how long it was it's on my Kindle reader. And usually if a short story is long, like I'll start to feel it and I'll mm-hmm. like scroll through to see how much I have left. I didn't do that once with this because it didn't feel long at all like, not at all and yeah. it's maybe it's not that long like yeah, i mean it's not yeah but it's, it's like 30 pages or something like that yeah. but it's uh totally i i have a struggle with short stories sometimes sometimes even borges like yeah. just i i have to get into the world and i have to like figure out what's going on and all that stuff is and and you have no connection to the characters yet but with this one for whatever reason i was just on board for the start it being about insomnia i think something we've both suffered from yeah. helps <laughs> totally so what yeah what do you think this story is about what do you think thematically it's i don't know doing? you didn't even ask me if i liked it <laughs> what did you think of the story did you like it <laughs> yeah i loved it i loved it. it like one of those you ever get the feeling where you're like how come nobody's told me to read this before <laughs> yes <laughs> that's yeah, the totally feeling. Yeah. what's wrong with all of the people i know <laughs> Um, yeah, no, there's so much to unpack this, a woman who is youngish, 30 year old woman with a husband and a son, and she's going through this and we hear everything from her perspective and the description of her life, it moves throughout the story from one of like placid content life, maybe not thrilling to a kind of feeling of slow desperation. (laughs) Um, and just emotionally, there's so much in there. I think it's a real talent for the author, for an author to be able to communicate that an, uh, a character is going through some some emotional change, but the character herself doesn't know what that change is. You know, yeah. like like we from her description of her life, we start getting a sense of like what's going on, um, but she is not like she's still she's still on the journey trying to figure out what's going on. You know. Yeah, I think she progressively becomes more aware. But you're right that at first we come into it and there's a lot of cues like the fact that she's reading Anna Karenina is the first thing she does when she enters this condition is read Anna Karenina. We have at least a little bit of an inkling of that this is about uh, a woman who feels alienated from herself yeah. and her life because of a kind of patriarchal structure that isn't obviously 
oppressive. It's not, uh, but it's suffocating yeah. nonetheless. Um, and that's what another thing I really liked about it. it. The husband doesn't seem like a bad guy. The son seems like actually a pretty good, happy kid. Um, but the more you hear about her own relation to them or connection to them, you realize that they're, they've become like hostile forces in her life. Yeah. Um, but not in any way that's obvious why, you know? Right, right. It's clearly they're not intending that. Um, and and it really is a sort of growing insight. And the, the insight is provided to her because she now has every night she has time completely to herself. So her husband and her son are, are fallen deep sleep and she's not tired at all so she she essentially has like a whole day to uh, you know the night to herself to do whatever she wants and it's only in having this freedom this time completely away from anybody requiring anything of her anybody any duties that she has because she's you know her life as a housewife is full of of the chores and the responsibilities it's with that freedom that she starts realizing and it's <laughs> sounds corny to say it but like that she's really been asleep this whole time like yeah yes yes what's but even that is doesn't fully cohere with some aspects of the story like because uh it says that she likes to get all her like housewifey chores done uh before lunch and then she will have the afternoon to herself if yeah. she can do that, you know? You know, it's like she has more time now, but there's not, like, a difference in kind. Yeah, but this kick, but this kicked her into, like, when she describes, so so the, the opening sentence is, this is my 17th uh, yeah. straight day without sleep. So she's been going through this for a couple of weeks now. There's some, some realization that kicks into her because of this, either because of the condition or because of the free time. You're right, it might not be that the free time has given her this because she has had free time. But when, for instance, she describes that before when she would try to read during her free time, mm -hmm. she would have an open book and she would kind of like be reading, but then her mind would like just start wandering into all of the other things that she had to do for the rest of the day. And so she wasn't really reading. Um, and what she has at night is a full ability to devote herself to purely selfish, selfish might not be the right words, but purely for following the interests that she has and she alone has with that. Yeah, yeah. But you're right that, that she has this ability to focus now and also yeah. to like really engage in a kind of self-examination that might actually be something you do more at night than you do during the day Maybe, when you're yeah. still caught up in the like yeah. routine of everyday life. One of the interesting little ironies though is she starts out with this routine, then this thing happens and we have to talk about what we think yeah. this is. Yeah. But then she still afterwards settles into a routine. It's just mm -hmm. the routine involves a lot more really good, I don't know, I, I'm jealous of how she describes her ability to read Anna Karenina <laughs> and really think about it and focus on it. And like, that's all she's doing when yeah. she's reading it. You know, it's yeah. like that attention span that she has that and she's, it's like she's almost decoding uh, Tolstoy she has it's it's almost like superpowers being on meth or how you feel when you're on like really good like some really good upper you know yeah, yeah. Um, except for with none of the downsides right so right. she's also seems very physically healthy she, when she looks at herself in the mirror she looks great you know she doesn't have <laughs> the sallow weight loss the sallow cheeks in the weight loss of, of a meth of a meth head so I can't help like okay broadly I can't help but read this as as you know a 
a feminist take on the life of a of a housewife like there's more obviously there's going to be more like there's a lot here just about identity and and whatever and even existentialism disassociation memory um yeah but it is it's hard not to see the part of like wow this is this is a quiet desperation of somebody who clearly had intellectual interests desire to go to graduate school and who kind of gave that all up because that's just what she had to do and and lost it and has now found that joy again and as she has found that joy again her current life seems less hers like she's having this sort of distance from her family life her her duties and the way that she deals with it in this super dissociative way is like goes through the motions during the day becomes herself her true self at night yeah yeah there's a real sad part in there for me where she says none of my family like my father my mother-in-law or my son they didn't notice that i wasn't sleeping at all if anything they seemed to get along with me even more they seemed more at peace yeah and that to me was like well because now that she's actually fulfilling herself in her own time they wanted a robot they wanted they they want somebody who doesn't make too much noise you know it doesn't kick up a fuss about anything and just i had the same yeah <laughs> so i, I had the same reaction to that that's very sad yeah. you know like it it was stressing them out at some level they probably couldn't even articulate that mm-hmm. there was this yearning that this woman had yeah, that was exactly. like inchoate and unexpressed and now that that's being taken care of like it's like oh perfect exactly. like now you're just this uh like robot is a great way to describe yeah. and yeah. It's like when our AIs take over, you know, our families will be happy. That, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this this David doesn't doesn't have that quiet sense of longing for a better life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this feeling of being stifled. <laughs> it's interesting, though. Like, I think it's a feminist take uh, that then, or or it's that story, like the Anna Karenina story. And I guess, like the Anna Karenina story, it becomes tragic, but it gets dark. towards the end of the story where she starts not just realizing I was practically asleep during my whole life, as you say, she starts to not love the, uh, the husband and to kind of not resent him or just like, it's like her self-actualization and the kind of selfishness that has to come with that results in a kind of meanness towards her family. That's when things take a turn to this really dark conclusion how do you interpret the fact that she has this superpower now to sleep uh to not sleep and to be at like kind of peak uh yeah, faculties right. like she's uh, in flow like every night yeah. from like 10 30 to like dawn or whatever um, until the end where she struggles to for the first time she can't concentrate on what she's reading but before then yeah she's in perfect she has that ability to uh, really take in whatever she's doing in the present yeah well so let's talk about some of the details because i think it matters so as you said before she says from the get-go this isn't insomnia like or this isn't what yeah. most people would think of as insomnia and she gives this description of when she was in college and she actually had a bad bout of insomnia and uh, she talks about what that felt like her head always being foggy her body on the verge of sleep but her mind determined to stay awake um, the drowsiness would overtake me at regular wave-like intervals on the subway in the classroom at the dinner table my mind would slip away from my body the world would sway soundlessly i would drop things my pencil or my purse or my fork would clatter to the floor 
All I wanted was to throw myself down and sleep, but I couldn't. The wakefulness was always there beside me. I could feel its chilling shadow. It was the shadow of myself. It's so, <laughs> so, so good. good. It's so good. The other little sentence that I love from this description is this is such a perfect description of insomnia. Like when you've just been awake the whole night, finally, as the sky began to grow light in the morning, I'd feel that I might be drifting off, but that wasn't sleep. My fingertips were just barely brushing against the outermost edge of sleep. Yeah. And all the while my mind was, was wide awake. You're just, you're so close, but then you're not. Yeah. And <sighs> And it's the same thing when you're awake. Then you're not really awake. You're you're yep. you're at the outermost edge of awakeness. Like this in fight the movie Fight Club, really get insomnia uh, <laughs> right down. Yeah, very well. And it's miserable. Both, yeah, uh, at the beginning, actually, like of the story, uh -huh, you know, uh -huh. like a description of insomnia. And then she says that that all of a sudden one day she like pretty much collapses, goes to her bed and slept for 27 hours straight and nobody could wake her up and then it just didn't come back. And she um, says, when I finally did awaken, I was my old self again. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> so there's already, like, a lot of this has already thrown into question her yeah. connection to her, like, herself uh, as she conceives it, the self that she experiences. Yeah. But whatever she has now, uh, given all the description um, that we've already talked about, like, is not is not that kind of insomnia. And she goes to some length to talk about how um, this doesn't seem like a thing that could be possible. So she reads some books about sleep. She reads about these experiments that the Nazis did. And she knows, seems like as a matter of scientific fact, that people just cannot survive on no sleep for more than a few days without either going crazy or dying. So what's happening to her is... Uh, is a mystery. And so, yeah. I, yeah. I, what I do you think it is? I mean, obviously mm -hmm. there's magic, like a lot yeah. of surreal things happen in Murakami books. The the few novels that I've read, um, they all have uh, to some degree. But what is this supposed to represent? What is this? Like, what do you uh, yeah. think? So I, okay, I do have a theory, but it's not, it's not great. And the, First night, as you mentioned before, uh, she has like a terrible dream. I'm trying to find the... She has just this terrible oh, yeah, yeah, feeling of yeah. dread. It's like one of these dreams where you wake up, but you're not really awake. Right. So she says she has this horrible feeling like she's being dragged into a void. And she says, I woke at the climactic moment, came fully awake with a start as if something had dragged me back at the last moment from a fatal turning point. Had I remained immersed in the dream for another second, I would have been lost forever. After I woke, my breath came in painful gasps for a time. My arm and leg felt paralyzed. Then... She yeah. thinks she's awake right now, yeah. but uh, all of a sudden this old man yeah. appears at the foot of her bed. Just then I seemed to catch a glimpse of something at the foot of the bed, something like a vague black shadow. I caught my breath, my heart, my lungs, everything inside me seemed to freeze in that instant. I strained to see the black shadow. Then the shadow begins to actually fill out with details, and it was a gaunt old man wearing a skin-tight, kind of funny, skin-tight black shirt. His hair was gray and short, his cheeks sunken. He stood at my feet perfectly still. He said nothing. They, he had huge eyes and she could see the red network of veins in them. And he had no expression on his face. And then the man has like an object in his hand that she can't make out what it is, but it turns into like an old timey ceramic pitcher and he starts pouring water on her feet. 
and uh, she can't feel the water. She she can't move, but, but she can hear it and she, she can, can see it. it. Yeah, and she can see it, and it's, she hears it splashing, and uh, she starts worrying that her feet are going to melt and rot away, which is such a dream thing to like yeah. <laughs> to think. Yeah. Um, and then she closed her eyes and tried to scream with every ounce of strength that she had, but the scream never left her body. Uh, um, another dream. Uh, like, it reverberated soundlessly inside, tearing through me, shutting down my heart. Everything inside my head turned white for a moment as the scream penetrated my every cell. Something inside me died. Something melted away, leaving only a shuddering vacuum. An explosive flash incinerated everything my existence depended on. Yeah, uh, so let's should we start with the scream? What do you think? Yeah, well, let's start with the sleep paralysis part. Have you had sleep okay. paralysis before? Mm-mm. Okay, so this is a really good description. I've had it pl- like tons of times. So sleep paralysis is this condition where um, basically when you go into REM sleep, like when you start dreaming, your body has a little switch that turns off your muscle movement because if not, you would be acting out your dreams and people do have a disorders where that switch isn't working and they like are acting out their dreams and it's super dangerous. So your body is like has a safety system. But sometimes it does the switch doesn't turn back on when you're coming out of sleep. And so you're in this like a kind of awake state and you can't move a muscle. And oftentimes this is accompanied by hallucinations where you're you're trying to yell out in the room but you'll often see something like or see somebody there in the room. Um, and people often talk about sleep paralysis demons because they'll, you know, they'll have like this this image of something there that's intruded in their room. Some people This is the thing that Rodney Asher did a movie about. It's a terrifying, terrifying experience. And I used to get it all the time. You don't anymore? Not so often. It happens more if I nap. Uh, it happened to my daughter the other day and she was freaked out. It used to happen to me as a kid and I was so freaked out. And I remember asking my mom, like, do, do you know what's happening? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So for years, because the internet didn't exist, like I had no idea what was happening to me. I thought it was just like some freak of nature. And one day I'm reading the encyclopedia and I see a, an entry on sleep paralysis. And I'm like, this, this shit right here, that happens to me. And my dad goes, oh yeah, it happens to me all the time too. I was like, fuck you, dad, for communicating. <laughs> That's like Christians. <laughs> like you have this horrible, like horrifying thing that is like tormenting you and you don't even tell each other. Um, <laughs> it really is a very specific to Christians. <laughs> right. You, you don't like feel the need to like t- bother anybody with it. You know? yeah, well, yeah, like Jews, right. we'd be like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> we're going to be bitching about it nonstop the first time it happens. Right. We get to hear when your tummy hurts, like let alone. <laughs> yeah. like, <when> you have... <laughs> so, so it is a great description of this terrifying sleep paralysis that happens. And, and so the hallucination makes all makes sense. Like she's, she's having this, um, you know, you're you're in that hypnagogic state where you're like halfway between waking and sleep. And so that that it took that specific form, I don't know what to make of. And I don't know what to make of the water. Did you have any any theories about baptism? Baptism, yeah. Like this is a rebirth. Yeah. Uh, that's a bit I thought like this was a birthing scene, you know. Like, yeah. But the the fact that she lets out the scream and it doesn't escape pulls against a kind of this is a liberating rebirth like an awakening there's definitely i'll I'll probably talk at some point about certain buddhist connections in this um but 
it pushes against that just the fact yeah. that the scream can't leave her. She has to like, uh, even when she's having her drink of brandy, yeah. um, dusting off the brandy the rem- after Remy this Martin. happens. <laughs> Remy Martin, yeah, she's like a rapper. Uh, <laughs> Though the terror was leaving me, the trembling of my body would not stop. It was in my skin like circular ripples on the water after an earthquake. I could see the slight quivering. The scream had done it. The scream that had never found a voice was still locked up in my body making it tremble that's i think like that that's a kind of a key yeah phrase the scream that never found a voice i think is like her life you know as she's uh, as this housewife like this is just a desperate scream that nobody's hearing both times that this happens the real insomnia and then whatever this is nobody notices yeah like right. nobody she is like alone she is isolated from the people who are supposed to like care about her yeah. and know when something's wrong you know that's another really sad part of this yeah yep but so you think so if if that's sleep paralysis still yeah. how does that explain the fact that now she's super awesome you're gonna reader. you're gonna hate my what i'm gonna say because i kind of hate it because i because i don't think that it matters so much but I feel like she might be asleep this whole time. And and that last scene, which is it is it okay you think if I describe that the last sure. scene? Yeah. So in the very last scene, um there's a lot of stuff that she does in between that we'll talk about, but in the very last scene she's in her car, she's uh out by what is it the harbor. Um yeah. and uh late at night at a place that is dangerous and two shadowy figures start shaking her car and it ends with that like she's her her fear that they're going to turn the car over. I feel like that might be her son and uh, husband trying to wake her up. Um, yeah, I feel like she's experienced all this liberation, unfortunately, in this dream state, which does sound reductive. And it sounds like you and I have railed against the whole it's all a dream thing before. But in this case, I think it might work like I, and, and besides the important part really is is the details of what's going on in her mind during the dream yeah during i like dream. that yeah. i i definitely think there's a lot that supports that the two men in the car are her husband and son this is the same night that she looked at them and realized like she kind of despised them both oh that's so sad too there's a scene earlier on where she kind of giving a sense of her life and she says that my two men, quote, men always wave to me on the way out. Their hands move in exactly the same way. It's almost uncanny. Yeah. So she already sees them as alien figures. They're men. They're not threatening in this in any sense of like violence. But there's something about the, their existence that is oppressing her. And she always describes them as very much the same, but in their physical mannerisms, but then also in their like ability to sleep and their kind of blissful, imbecilic, like contentment with life, you know, (laughs) it's really not flattering. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by NordVPN. You know, VPNs can do a lot of things. For me, it obviously revolves around movies and TV shows. You know how streamers are 
always pulling movies and TV shows from their services. Just one day it's there, the next day it's gone. You can't even rent it. You can't buy it. There's movies and TV shows that I have no access to uh, if I live in the United States, unless I have a VPN like Nord. Nord VPN allows you to access content from over 60 different countries by changing your location with one click. And this works both ways. You can get stuff in, I don't know, Belgium or in uh, Sweden if you're in the United States. But also when you're traveling, you have access to your own services. Uh, as an example, I was just in Mexico City with my family, spring break, which was also the first week of the NCAA tournament. And, you know, going out with the family, having tequila, having all that delicious food, it's all great. But I wanted to watch some tournament games, too. And I have Hulu Live, but... I couldn't access it because they don't do Hulu in Mexico. And I had let my Nord VPN subscription lapse, something I won't do again. So I didn't get to watch any tournament games. I just had to spend all that time with my family. Nord VPN is also fast. Uh, it has amazing speed, the fastest VPN out there. This is confirmed by the speed tests. Um, you can access it on six different devices. It's easy to use. You can connect with one click or even enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. Good encryption. I'm not 100% sure what encryption is, but I think it's good. Our listeners can go to nordvpn.com slash vbw for an exclusive NordVPN deal. Once again, go to www.nordvpn.com slash vbw this is risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a shot. You have nothing to lose. Thanks to NordVPN for sponsoring this episode. So, so I, I, like, yeah, that's them waking her up. Yeah, you, oh, and you know what else is good for your theory? The fact that in the beginning of it, she woke from the dream, she thought, but it was still the dream. That's yeah. when the guy puts... So we've yeah. already established that you can wake up, think you're awake. That's right. Um, I, I, I like it as a frame, you, like as an interpretation. Like you said, what matters is what happens then in the dream, if you, that's how you interpret yeah. it. Yeah, which brings me to this other thing that I am... Uh, like I read this literally like right before we started recording. I was just doing a bit of Googling on to see what people said about this. And uh, there's something that somebody wrote that ki kind of convinced me that, that this other thing is going on that that is kind of creepy. You know, she gives this recollection of being in college and messing around with a guy, her boyfriend at the time in, in her car or in a car. And he tries to go, he tries to like have sex with her and she says no. And then she sort of dismisses it. So what this person's theory was, was that she was actually abused. Um, she was raped that night. It does fit with like when she talks about sex with her husband, um, you know, it doesn't feel, it doesn't seem like this is like a, something that she's enjoying like at one point she's like why should i even have sex with him it feels like in the, the scream that despair feels like what she's doing has been this whole time suppressing or repressing the trauma that she had from from this and she doesn't even realize and then a lot of people talk about you know this is such a diso there's so much dissociation as a theme of this story that it does seem like she has divided her world into um 
into two as a way to cope. But here's what really fucked with me was that remember when she first goes to the harbor? So she, one of the things that she does is she gets in her little beater civic and she mm. has driven to the harbor. And one night, a cop knock, knocks on her window and says, hey, be careful. There was a couple here a few months ago where some guys came and like they murdered the guy and they raped the woman. She goes back to that harbor at the end, dressed as a man. Yeah. As if she wants to be the one that's killed, not the one that's raped. Uh, yeah. So it's a suicide. Yeah. I, I had that thought. Yeah, because there's like, it, at first I was like, why would she dress up like a man to go to that harbor? And then somebody pointed out that that earlier story, it's the man who gets killed and the woman who gets raped. Like, if if she's going to be, maybe it's not a suicide, but it's more like if she's going to be in danger, she doesn't want that danger to be a rape. Like that, right, she that would be too much. She wants it to much. be a murder. Yeah. Uh, and she had, uh, there is a manic side of how she is during yeah. the sleepless yeah, period. Yeah, right. That's right. I hadn't thought of it that way. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, uh, that's interesting. I mean, it's definitely possible that she's describing it when she was sexually assaulted. It's possible that that's connected to the early insomnia. Yeah, you know, right. again, it's something that nobody noticed. Nobody seemed to like even care that she was probably acting in yeah. ways that are totally right. not like her. It doesn't seem like there's been any kind of sea change in terms of what's making this happen. If that's true, and I think something like it probably is, she's always had this scream that's yep. locked up inside totally. her that can't find a voice, yep. you know? Yep. And um, so, it doesn't have time. You know, it's almost as if like going through the motions of life, what she calls these these little tendencies that, that these going through life on automatic has in some ways stopped her from reflecting on what's happened to her in the past and you know she stopped reading she has kind of turned off that part of her mind that would even lead to to that self-discovery or that insight or self-knowledge yeah and now that she's not sleeping and she gets this time she reads Anna Karenina three times and she goes to Dostoevsky which by the way there when she's describing the ugliness of her husband's face that's yeah. just straight out of like Tolstoy or Dostoevsky like their ability yeah. to describe to describe ugliness it's it's Murakami yeah. doing his best Russian depressed. Like. I love what he says about Tolstoy. All the time I had been washing the dishes, my only thoughts had been of Vronsky and how an author like Tolstoy managed to control his characters so skillfully. He described them with such wonderful precision, but that very precision somehow denied them a kind of salvation. That's, that's like, so good. That's, that's uh, so good. And and Murakami is not describing her with a precision as if to let her uh, yeah. find salvation. You know? She is not. She also is denied salvation. And I yeah. think, sorry, I was I was going with the like, I think Murakami wants this character to achieve salvation. Like he's. Oh, you, you he, think. She, the other people because are described. We don't imprecise. get that much precision about her. Yeah. That's true. We don't even know her name. Yeah. Right? Do yeah, we not? No. I don't think so. Nope. We, I don't think we know uh, we, anybody's name. All we know, you know, she looks at herself in the mirror a couple times, and but doesn't even really describe her appearance other than whether she likes it or not. Oh, yeah. yeah that's way better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I, I do think there are certain things that he captures, though, with a lot of precision, yes. you know, but maybe like the haziness of what's going on and the 
and and, the, and what's a dream and what's real. Yeah. Like that's another thing that is a constant theme in her life. Is she is she asleep? Is she awake? Is she yeah. dreaming? Is she not? Like she never fully knows, except uh, in her mind anyway. During this, especially like the first part of the period where she has this insomnia, there's all these descriptions that sound very much like a kind of awakening. Yeah, you know, just her ability to concentrate her ability to be in the present. So like here's as before the insomnia, she's talking about her life and she says, each day pretty much a repetition of the one before. I used to keep a diary, but if I forgot for two or three days, I'd look, I'd lose track of what had happened on which day, the demarcation. There's a lack of demarcation between the days. And she says, at, uh, I was amazed at this, right? Like I was amazed at the fact that my footprints were being blown away before I even yeah. had a chance to turn and look at them. It's it's all just this amor amorphous blur. But when she's in that kind of peak uh, of this whatever insomniac condition that she has, uh, she says, she says, now at least I was expanding my life and it was wonderful. My hands weren't empty anymore. Here I was alive and I could feel it. It was real. I wasn't being consumed any longer. As if sleep is nothing more than a periodic repairing of the parts of me that are being worn away, I don't want it anymore. I don't need it anymore. Yeah. Like my flesh may have to be consumed, but, but my mind belongs to me. Yeah. There was this feeling, there was a part of me in existence that was not being consumed and and that gave, and that was what gave me this intensely real feeling yeah. of being alive. And she sees this with clarity. At, yeah. But it just, it doesn't, it doesn't last. No. You know, like, and, and if this is a dream, and the insight that she's having is within this yeah. dream, like she's lived like a month, you know, or half a month in this dream, and is coming to these realizations, she might not have them upon awakening. Like she might lose it all. I mean, there's so much there. There's so much there about just identity and like memories and like. Ugh. It's right after this that she starts looking at her, like her dumbass, like can't uh, yeah. drink husband and like the, the <laughs> kind of self satisfied ability to sleep, which I also like. I've very much related to that kind of resentment. Yeah. My totally. wife is a really good sleeper uh, and like. Absolutely. Like when, I hate when they you. start snoring like when you're with somebody and they yeah. start snoring like three minutes after they put their head on the pillow i'm like fuck you yeah right, fuck you by the way and also one of the things that she says about her husband was that he had failed to be her protector and from that point yes. on she couldn't look at his face when he sleeps um yes and you know it's centers around this time when they had an argument about what their name to name their son and his her mother-in-law was saying you should name it this and the husband he just didn't man, you know, he didn't man up. He didn't actually take her side. And so from that yeah. point on, she was like, well, like this guy can't protect me. He's not doing what I thought. And that made sense to me with the whole like abuse thing where like he, she, yeah, she's not being protected in she much has no more. Allies. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the Tolstoy-like precision descriptions huh. because I know people who this is true of. It's mm. like the biggest betrayal is when your fiancé or your like uh, spouse, partner, whatever, doesn't support you in a uh, conf like in a very important conflict with their family. That's like the most important thing. Like if you're yeah. listening to this and you're with somebody right now, like step up and support them during yeah, this time because right. if you don't this is what the, this is the shit that's gonna happen <laughs> the resentment um i wanted to uh 
point to the, the the anecdote, which is at the very end, where she's she is all she's already driven to the harbor dressed as a man. She says, um, half consciously, I let my eyes wander through the surrounding darkness. When all of a sudden, I remember a drive I took with my boyfriend the year I was a college freshman. We parked and got into some heavy petting. He couldn't stop. He said, and he begged me to let him put it in, but I refused. Hands on the steering wheel, listening to the music. I try to bring back the scene, but I can't recall his face. It seems to have happened such an incredibly long time ago. And uh, so it, sort of as a matter of factly, that image comes back to her, but it seems as if she's repressed the what might be the key part. What followed. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And then she says. It's definitely out there. Yeah. Um, but then she says, it feels so strange as if the me who used to go to sleep every night is not the real me and the memories from back then are not really mine. This is how people change, but nobody realizes it. Nobody notices only I know what happens. I could try to tell them, but they wouldn't understand. They wouldn't believe me. Or if they did believe me, they would have absolutely no idea what I'm feeling. They would only see me as a threat to their inductive worldview. I am changing, though. Really changing. How do you read that? What like it, It's not, although you know, maybe I would like it to be, it's not something that's like attacking scientism. <laughs> but she does uh, say something. It's it's not, not that. Yeah. Like She does say yeah, something no, earlier right. about about uh, the only way people know stuff is through their induction. There are other ways of knowing, I think, is maybe what she's yeah. gesturing at here, you know, which again has a like a Buddhist. Oh, yeah, here, uh, right. So here it says, um, it's only three in the morning, but the number of cars on the road is by no means small. Huge semis roll past, shaking the ground as they head east. Those guys don't sleep at night. They sleep in the daytime and work at night for greater efficiency. What a waste. I could work day and night. I don't have to sleep. This is biologically unnatural, I suppose, but who really knows what is natural? They just infer it inductively. I'm mm-hmm. beyond that. A priori, an evolutionary, an evolutionary leap, a woman who never sleeps, an expansion of consciousness. I have to smile. A priori, an evolutionary leap. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Yeah. It's like, oh, fuck, I'm using like philosopher <laughs> terms. <laughs> what's, what's, like, right. what's going on? Yeah. yeah. Like this kind of waffles between some kind of awakening and liberation and also still being in prison and being maybe psychotic. And it's like both of it's like it could be either of these things. And when, you know, it's like when she's reading about uh, what sleep is. Uh, She says all the stuff about sleep that I read seemed like bullshit except for one book. Uh, the author maintained that human beings by their very nature are incapable of escaping from certain fixed idiosyncratic tendencies, both in their thought processes and in their physical movements. People unconsciously fashion their own action and thought tendencies, which under normal circumstances never disappear. In other words, people live in a prison cell of their own tendencies. What modulates these tendencies and keeps them in check so that the organism doesn't wear down as the heel of a shoe does uh, is nothing other than sleep. Sleeping is an act that has been programmed with karmic inevitability into the human system and no one can diverge from it. If a person were to diverge from it, the person's very ground of being would be threatened. Yeah. Um, I think this is getting at like the 
kind of like the marrow of this story here. It's like uh, to not sleep is to actually threaten her anything about like how she understands her identity. Yeah. It is to kind of obliterate her identity because all those tendencies, those habits that make one day bleed into another are now just going to be thrown and gone and shattered. Yeah. And then what is what are you? left? Yeah. What are yeah. you? Who, yeah. who are you? when that's gone, like sleep is there to protect your ability to continue performing those behaviors. And she is rejecting the sleep. So because it, it keeps you in the prison, it keeps you in the prison. And, you know, throughout the story, she describes that during the day, she's found this way to like just super efficiently do all the tasks that she needs to do. And that way she has this time, um, all to herself later at night. But, it's like she realizes that that can't be maintained, right? That that's something's going to give eventually. Um, and, but yeah. but not doing that also can't be man- right. maintained. That's the tragedy. But she, yeah, but yeah. with her realization of the prison that she's in, like what? Or dead. Or like, dead. I think that's like where you get to the end because she talks about death and what that is. And uh, like, I thought I was worried about you. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good call. I was worried about me too. Um, I'd had this thought before. Uh, Maybe somebody had given it to me. Uh, She starts talking about, you know, she can't sleep. She's not tired. But when she would close her eyes, um, she would be just experiencing this complete darkness that wasn't sleep-like at all. It was what she called a wakeful darkness. And she realized that there's a possibility that death might be like this wakeful darkness, this being consciously in a complete void, which would be terrible. It's a horrible, horrible thought that for eternity, you're just like sort of awake in a darkness. And, uh, (laughs) and she says, but you know, nobody knows like how, how would anybody know what happens after you die? Um, And that, yeah, I hadn't thought about it until now though, that that wakeful darkness is kind of the life of, of no reflection that she might be leading. Like that would be to lapse back into that wakeful darkness maybe. Or it's the life with no tendencies. Or it's the, yeah. It's, it's the I like self-free life. Yeah. This episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you by Aura Frames. Aura Frames are digital frames that allow you to upload pictures and videos together and display them on a high resolution display. It's very easy to do. You can upload an unlimited number of photos and videos from anywhere you are in the world using the free Aura app and Wi-Fi. There's never any fees for storage. You can even preload the frame with personalized messages and pictures if you're going to give it as a gift. And these are quality products. They've been named by Wirecutter as the number one digital picture frame. They've also been listed by The Strategist, by Wired Magazine, recommended by Fast Company. You still might be wondering why Very Bad Wizards is doing an ad for digital picture frames. And here's where I want to tell you a genuinely true story and the reason that we selected Aura Frames as a sponsor. I have an infant daughter and my parents live very far away. And one of the gifts that we gave them this Christmas was a digital picture frame. And it's been such a cool gift for my father, especially because basically every day at the end of the day, we can upload with a click of a button, the photos that we've taken of our daughter. And every day he goes to this little spot where he takes a nap and he turns on his digital photo frame and he looks forward to seeing the new pictures of his granddaughter. And 
multiple times he's told us how much that means to him. It's different than just FaceTiming or Zooming with a relative. It's something that provides a connection for people who are far away. In fact, if you're looking for a gift, if it's you've been procrastinating like I have for a gift for Mother's Day, I think this is a great gift. You know if you're the kind of person who would use this or if you know the kind of person who would use it. But in my situation, it was actually like the perfect gift. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners of Very Bad Wizards can save on this perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code VBW to get up to $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frames. The deal ends on May 14th, so don't wait. Once again, that's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code VBW at checkout for $30 off. Our thanks to Aura Frames for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. You said something about psychotic um, that made yeah. me think, yeah, like that's a possibility too. Like I feel like um, Murakami very clearly saying the the rules of this world are that people need sleep, right? Like that's just like he's, yeah. he's this isn't a magical world in which she has magical powers. So if that's the case, then you have a few possibilities. One, it's a dream like the whole time, uh, which I think is is quite possibly the case. Uh, two, she's just actually going crazy. Like she, she act, you know, as she says, studies have shown that you descend into madness after a few days with no sleep. Like maybe she is actually descending into madness. Do you think we're supposed to like settle on some kind of interpretation that is consistent with how we understand reality? I'm not sure. Like it could be a dream. It could be she's going crazy, but I, it could also be like that she actually just gained the power to not sleep. I, I don't know. Yeah, like, it it could be like, I, I don't think we're supposed to figure out like that, you know, we're, as we've said many times, this isn't Scooby-Doo. And so, so like the, the truths here I, that are being communicated are these this deep yeah. emotional truth and it matters that's why i was yeah. reluctant to even say the dream thing because it's like well what does that even add like yeah like if you treat this like a mystery the clues in there might lead you to to the it's all it, it was all a dream but, which is fine which is, i actually yeah, like yeah, yeah. i yeah. do too actually it um, doesn't mean it doesn't like none of the all of this is made up yeah. so if the fact that <laughs> right. that is also made up like it, it doesn't right uh, right where i was going though with the the rules that murakami set up i feel like him going yeah. to great lengths to say that this isn't natural um, is is there for a reason, I think. Mm -hmm. And and what that reason is, who knows? But I think it's the tragedy. It's yeah. like liberation means death, yeah, essentially. Right. You know, like it's like to actually be liberated from this life as you live it uh, uh, is to die. Yeah. So going back to this, the passages you met, you read about death. So she says the best guess is still a guess. Maybe death is that passage, right? Death can be anything at all. An intense terror overwhelmed me at the thought. A stiffening chill ran down my spine. My eyes were still shut tight. I had lost the power to open them. This is in like she's in her wakefulness period yeah. i stared at the thick darkness that's planted in front of me a darkness as deep and hopeless as the universe itself i was all alone my mind was in deep concentration and expanding if i had wanted to i could have seen into the uttermost depths of the universe but i decided not to look it was too soon for that that sounds to me like you know i've read a lot about these people who have these kind of uh bad 
deep meditation experiences where they feel themselves being like coming apart. But instead of that kind of ease that you can often feel with that, you feel a kind of terror and disintegration. And that's what this sounds like. And it's like, it's like if she's at the edge right now yeah. of death and she could go into it, but at least at this point she doesn't. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that's where this is heading. Yeah. You know, that's what I think the, the story is like heading there. Yeah. Which is why wish. I like your, yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, uh, and you know, maybe where it settles is it's back to the husband that doesn't drink and sleeps perfectly, uh, or, or death. Yeah. And by the way, at the end there, she says, if death was like this, if to die meant being eternally awake and staring into darkness, what should I do? At last I managed to open my eyes. I gulped down the brandy that was left in my glass. <laughs> like yeah. That's the solution to the existential terror is to take a drink. Just to calm yourself, yeah. like to settle yourself. You know, that's what she had. I, I, I. I was so upset at the like the first night after the dream where she's still like like physically shaking and she decides not to have another glass of brandy even though she wants it because she wants to be you know ready for the day yeah. and I was like no have the brandy like <laughs> that's what you need. <laughs> You're like an old timey doctor. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, and also like fuck tomorrow. Who cares? Give a shit. Pretend you're sick. Whatever. <laughs> like she did to get out of sex with her husband. Yeah, um, exactly. So one of the things that I wanted to bring up was that the metaphor of the car engine um, yeah. that that she makes, she, she talks about the engine needing to be repaired and it needs to rest. And like, it's very much like the discussion of, of sleep um, and how your body needs to repair. And so she's talking about her Civic that has all these miles on it. And that when you turn the engine off, it cools down and it rests like, you know, or else it would it would just not work if it wasn't able to take those those breaks. And at the very end, the car has just won't start. You know. Yeah. And exactly. It doesn't wake up. Yeah. 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 I, it does seem like that's a where where this is headed. Yeah. I think, and like maybe she and dies at the end, or yeah, at least in way, a kind of terror. I feel like it's way. ego death because if. If she's had these insights in an extended yeah. dream and she wakes mm-hmm. up, she's going to lose them. And she's yep. going to go right back to her her robot life with, but yeah, her, no, with no Anna Karenina and Brandy. Um, and no demarcation between the days. Oh, and yeah. D- depressing. Know. This is su- I, such an, like, I don't know if the existential stories find us or if we find them, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do kind of feel like, I remember having this thought, all stories and movies are essentially existentialist. Yeah. And maybe stories and short stories and movies, especially because you're not g- getting this uh, long description of a person. You're not with them for, a, you have to have, it has to revolve around choices that are like determining who you're going to be or questioning what you are or something like that. You so, know? so, that's why Wakanda Forever is just so moving. <laughs> I like the existential. Complete... You can write an essay: the existential nature of the Marvel universe. Phase four. <laughs> I'm talking about cinema. <laughs> um, I, there's a lot of interesting stuff also like the first time she looks at her husband like she makes a joke about the fact that he's not good looking yeah. but then 
also just she doesn't know what he looks like you know like she couldn't draw him like he's already hazy she already has this very hazy like that that's the i guess the contrast this is pre uh new sleepness phase sleepless phase she uh is already just living in this hazy life where nothing is that distinct she's like he has no distinguishing features really same with her son and same with just her connection to herself she doesn't know why she's doing things but the car is a great yeah because uh, it's but the it's like this beat up car with the engine that sometimes doesn't start yeah. but she says but i don't care it's, it's mine. mine yeah 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 totally yeah. um the by the way she she mentions that she was a good student and wrote a thesis on Catherine mansfield mm-hmm. and her thesis advisor advised uh, told her to go to grad school i didn't i didn't know who Catherine mansfield was uh she was an author from new zealand a woman who it sounds like a lot of like she wrote a lot of dark dark shit but was was a very well respected author but she she also went through um multiple relationships with men but would have relationships with women like it's pretty clear that she was lesbian um but Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, got like got in marriages with <laughs> with men, and yeah, yeah. and I once I saw that I couldn't help but think that like hey maybe this woman is like what's going on is some repressed sexuality, but there's really nothing else in there. There's, <laughs> there's yeah. nothing else. One thing that's funny about Murakami, like this is true of all the other stuff I've read, is that it's it's like it's a Western novel. Like all his references are Western, you know. Yeah, I read that he's uh, been like criticized by Japanese critics for not being Japanese enough. But it's like weird the way he goes at aside from his description of like sometimes like dinners that are being cooked in mm-hmm. uh you really would barely know oh, that it's Japan totally. for a lot of them. Yeah, totally. Like he he's very obsessed with like all the American references, like, you know, like a lot of his the, the novels that I've read are very much in the kind of Raymond yeah. Chandler heart and with the same kind of references to Western noir. And um, this is that too. Like it's Mozart and Haydn are yeah. the references Karenina. and Anna Karenina and Dostoevsky. And, you know. Yeah, I get the, uh, I got the feeling that he wants, he wants this to be a universal story, you know? Um, he doesn't want to limit it. Well, like, I don't know. I've, I've read one book of his, but so that the rest of the world won't think you're just a Japanese author. Oh. Yeah, it's just that, like, then you could still put some Japanese stuff in it. <laughs> you're you saying know? he's self-hating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, or he's uh, disguising what I think is an exploration of the self that is very influenced by Eastern understandings mm. of the mm-hmm. self because that's another thing. Like, I think there's so much in here. Like, uh, where's the description of her looking at herself in the mirror? Yeah, by the way, uh, that description... Have you ever stared at yourself in the mirror so long that you have dissociative thoughts? Yeah, yes. They, they haven't been the most vivid distort, but but yeah, it's like, wait, what? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's a good way to like induce dissociation. Uh, just hey. just keep looking at yourself in the mirror till you know that that phrase "ground of being" <laughs> is a, a f- like a a uh, a big part of. Uh, Buddhist and especially the kind of Buddhism that Sam and that school, Dzogchen, which uh, involves this kind of ground of being and all like the contents of consciousness are supported 
by and kind of inseparable from the uh, the ground. Where's that uh, passage of being in the mirror? Whenever I felt like that, I would look at my face in the bathroom mirror, just look at it for 15 minutes at a time, my mind a total blank. I'd stare at my face purely as a physical object, and gradually it would disconnect from the rest of me, becoming just something that happened to exist at the same time as myself. And a, reali- a realization would come to me. This is happening here and now. It's got nothing to do with footprints. Reality and I exist simultaneously at this present moment. That's the most important thing. That's actually like the here and now, another yeah. big term in the Dzogchen tradition. Uh, the here and now, it's like the the facade, the persona, the I, the stable identity. You're beneath it and you are in, you're beneath it in the now. You're beneath it in the way that you always are and always have to be. That was actually the passage I was searching for before of how she's just in the present yeah. but it, it, it just can't sustain and on that uh, when I read the some of the later passages where she's talking about this it reminded me of this paper that I read about the phenomenology of losing your sense of self mm-hmm. uh, it just it's a fairly neutral depiction of this interviews a lot of people some of them had really good experiences and uh feeling of great ease and 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 liberation and connectedness with others but some of them didn't and here's a quote from somebody just describing the experience it basically felt like whatever personality i thought i had before just disintegrated it and it wasn't an expansive disintegration into unity or bliss or anything like that. It was a disintegration into dust. I didn't believe in all the things that people tell themselves that something is worth it or just be you. All these positive psychological frameworks that people use to get through life just seemed unconvincing. I came to this conclusion during that time period that personality is just a structure without any real substance to it. And I don't know if that really solved anything for me or (laughs) resolved anything for me, but I was just convinced that there wasn't any point in working on this structure. That's, I think, like a nice kind of description of where she is. Like the structure is not working for her. The persona, the habits, the tendencies are not working for her. But that doesn't mean like that there's a good alternative. Right. Right. It's it's weird, though, because like the time that she has to herself, especially the beginning of this story where she's rediscovering like her passion for reading the stuff, you know, she opens the book and she sees chocolate flakes from when last she read this and she realized that like you know she had lost this part of herself and she's reclaiming it and it it does seem like she's found she's found this time in which she can be her authentic self and like this has made life worth living like the other stuff she'll continue going through the motions of being you know a surface dweller and being the good wife and she's found a way though to do it almost without consciously experiencing it and saving all of that for nighttime when she can drink her brandy and eat her chocolate. She even describes having a voracious appetite during those moments. And it does seem good that she, it seems like there is the finding of an identity there, but then it kind of turns darker. And I don't know, I don't know if Murakami is saying like, yeah, this is the price. And she is saying almost explicitly this, the price that I pay might have to be something like death or ego death or dissolution, but it was worth it to have these moments where I was truly me. Yeah. She even yeah. says that, yeah. like, this is going to come back to haunt me. There's no way. Yeah. Like, I'm sure this is taking a toll on my body and my, and maybe my psyche, yeah. but I don't care. Yeah. Like, uh, at least it's being alive for a little bit. 
and awake for a little bit and I'll take like whatever comes of it if it's bad I don't know maybe it's bad she's like let the hypothesis run wherever right. it wants you yeah, know like right. right now she's in the flow yeah. of living and like actualizing in some sense and so I couldn't really pinpoint the moment where it turns yeah but uh, it definitely takes a turn and that's when she looks at her husband and son yeah. with contempt and also where she stops being able to concentrate for the first time on what she's reading and that's and then she dresses up like a boy you could definitely paint this in terms of trauma she's warded it off as but if you're really going to actualize if you're really going to discover yourself you actually have to face something that's so dark that she can't right. really face it right by the way, there was something that was so sad to me about when she's looking at her son's sleeping face and she realizes that something about his face annoyed me. And when she looked again, she says, then it hit me. What bothered me about my son's sleeping face was that it looked exactly like my husband's and exactly like my mother-in-law's stubborn, self-satisfied. It was in their blood. Um, there, I couldn't, first of all, sad you're, <laughs> that you would feel that yeah. way about your son and she's sad about it. But also, like, it really is, like, he's he's just going to become one of the forces that's, like, keeping me down. Like, he's just totally. like that, you know? Like, patriarchy or whatever it is. Like, he's, he's I'm just raising somebody to be another man. Like, my husband is a man. Yeah, um, he's going to stop me from drinking and having chocolate. Yeah. And, and he's going to um, ask for, like, afternoon sex. And that's why the reading of the people rocking her car yeah. at the end being her son and husband yeah. seems very compelling. And I, I didn't think of this, but the idea of them trying to wake her yeah. is, I, uh, is it totally makes sense in light of that. Did you see somebody um, on Reddit had a theory that this was just like an allegory for, for drug addiction? Yeah. I mean, it could be. It, like, yeah. it sounds like doing like really high quality, like <laughs> speed, coke, you know, like at the at those kind of peak yeah. moments where you just feel like you can do anything. And sacrifice, knowing that you're sacrificing your long term <laughs> yeah. health. Yeah. But I don't, it's deeper. It's, yeah, it feels yeah. deeper than that. That's what's so, such a good story because it can be all these things at the same time. Yep. Um, I mean, I'm sticking to my lesbian story. <laughs> <laughs> she just needs to like scissor some 26 year old graduate student and like it'll all be fine yeah she'll love her son yes, again that's what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> the description of the ugliness of of the man you know oh yeah <laughs> You know, it's like she thought she was in a good relationship and you, we see her description change, but she she thought her life was good. <clears throat> she just hasn't had the opportunity to really reflect on it. Um, and Did I think, she ever think her life was good, though? I think like, she, she thought was, it was fine. She thought it was fine. Like, I think she had convinced herself, like when she says, and my friends all tell me, like, what a good husband I have. Like, you do get the sense that she she has landed the life that, is supposed to be like the pinnacle of society for for wherever she is right where she has a, a husband with a, a good job you know if anything the burden is that his business has grown and so how could she complain about that like he's sweet you know they used to make love in the afternoons like and then and then you start seeing the cracks where she's like 
you know, we were happier then, I guess. Um, but here what she's having is just a real, it's almost like a strangely individualistic take, like uh, where she's having this real realization that she has suppressed all her own interests and desires and identity um, for the sake of having this life. And the, the imagery of the father and the son shaking her to come back to being that person is pretty strong. Like I, That's the Tolstoy like precision too, is the whole description of the yeah. dentist. You know, you have this office and that all of a sudden he's getting busier and busier. He can give less time with her, less kind of real connection with her, but she can't complain. Like that's yeah. a line actually, that's a refrain. I, you can't complain because yeah. it's good. But the whole reason it's good is because they went into massive debt to uh, fund the yeah. dental office and all this stuff is for him to feel comfortable and settled and she is just like support for that. Yeah. And it just sort of creeps, it like just gradually becomes something that uh, swallows up her life, but she can't complain. That's yeah. the silent screen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. Ugh. Yep. She didn't yeah. even, she didn't even know that scream was in her until she tried yeah. to let it out and it wouldn't come out. Yeah. Ugh. Sucks to be a woman. Sucks to be a woman. <laughs> Dude, sorry, Eliza and Lola and uh, Bella. <laughs> <laughs> all right well this was fun I, I guarantee we'll go back to murakami it was a uh, great story so uh, we didn't we didn't con i feel like we didn't do a good job convincing people to read it before they listen to it but but do <laughs> yeah too late <laughs> <laughs> well, all right well um we will return to the murakami the mcu the murakami <laughs> <laughs> something universe muraconda forever <laughs> <laughs> that's good Join us next time on Very Bad Wizards. Just a very bad wizard.